recording. Great. I need to take your minds back to maybe a, um, like an old Western movie, one where they're hunting for gold. Your parents probably made you watch these. You don't have to admit that you actually enjoyed it because it was good. You can just say, my parents made me. And when they find a piece of gold, what's the first thing they do to test if it's real? They don't sell it. They grab it. They grab it. it lick it is close. What do they do? No, they don't smack it with a hammer. They bite it. They try to bite it. All right, if you've ever done any study, which I highly doubt someone's actually done this in this room, but you may have, it's called a saying to see what's the genuine quality or worth of this piece of gold. In the movies, they say bite it. Your teeth aren't sensitive to tell you if it's gold or not. It might tell you if it's soft because it didn't break your teeth, which is a good hint. Pure quality gold is soft, all right? It's soft. It's not a hard metal. There are other ways to know that you could possibly use, right? One of them, unlike the hammer method, you can take a file and put a notch in it because the hammer breaks it and then your gold's all lost, right? Well, maybe if it doesn't shatter everywhere, right? Um, so you can file it and then you can put some acid on it. The color of the acid, the foam that comes up will tell you, is it pure gold? Is there silver in there? Is there iron in there? Is there something that has it blended? You can know. Interestingly enough, I didn't know this until I looked this up. If you get a magnifying glass and you look at your piece of gold jewelry, you might then see inscribed, probably on the inside or on the back, a hallmark of some kind, a date or a number of carats. But the people that make jewelry that's not fake stamp them so that people could know and it could be verified later. There are ways to know if your gold jewelry is high quality, pure, or if it's fake. If it turns your fingers green when you take it off, you're like, yep, that was fake. That's because there's enough acid in your skin to pull that one off. So watch out for that one, right? But those are some ways to tell. We're going to look tonight at faith, and we're going to see, unlike biting it, that's just, that doesn't help you at all. With faith, we're going to look at it and say, hey, how can I know if faith is real? And we're going to see, in our passage tonight, turn to Matthew 15, that's where we're going, Matthew 15, chapters 21 to 20, chapters, verses 21 to 28, and we're going to go there. We're going to see high-quality faith, in which case then we can assay our own faith against it, is the whole point. Whole kit and caboodle right there. Make your way to Matthew 15, 21 to 28. I'll read our text for us. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Keep those facts in your mind and jump over to Mark chapter 7. This story is recorded, verses 24 to 30. We're going to pick up a few other details of context. I just want it floating in your brains as we go into it. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And it says, Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it yet. 
he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. So go back to Matthew 15. Thank you for doing the back and forth. I want you to see both of those stories. We're going to look at, uh, we're in Matthew 15 tonight, but we're, that was, there's some facts in there I'm going to reference later. You've now had them in your brain. The theme, yes, Matthew 15, what? 21 to 28. Yep, 21 to 28. Um, the theme tonight is Jesus' compassion towards genuine faith. So everything wraps around that thought. Everything wraps around that thought. You'll see Jesus' compassion toward genuine faith. And we're going to see that theme play out in one conversation that has three parts. The first part we're going to look at is her request. The second part we're going to look at is the responses. And the third part that we're going to look at is the revealed faith. So I know we just prayed, but it's always right to pray again. So bow with me if you would, and we'll pray to get started. Father, this is your word. And uh, just as we started looking at this, we're seeing genuine faith play out before us on the pages of Scripture. Lord, I don't know all the hearts um, of the people in this room. I don't know if everybody's a believer or not. I don't know uh, where everybody's walk is, what their day's been like, their week, their month, their year. Um, but Lord, what we're going to see tonight, you know, is going to be genuine faith played out. And Lord, I pray that uh, for the believers in this room, that you would awaken and encourage their hearts towards the truth of your word, that their faith can look like this, needs to look like this, and can be uh, found only in you. And Lord, for anybody that doesn't know you, Lord, they would repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ alone in the same genuine faith we're going to see in the Seraphonation woman. Lord, I pray that you'd honor this time, be glorified in our discussion. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and set some context, right? Verses 21 and 20 through 23 is where this first part of the conversation is. And it says, Jesus went away from there. Now, theoretically, I'm not jumping into the middle where you've never been before. Theoretically, you covered verses 1 to 20 in the last couple weeks. Is that correct in y'all's minds? Because some leaders over there are saying it is, but you know how leaders get. So they're accurate. You should trust them. That's how they get. Okay, so... Um, some of you are like, don't ask me what happened. We'll just look at verses 1 to 20 on the page in front of you. What happened? Big part of the story. Someone came and challenged Jesus. Yes, Ian. The Pharisees came. Right. And then on this side of the room, what did they challenge him on? Something about eating. Yes. Yes, they were washing without water. Not, not just washing their hands because they're not talking about, hey, you're eating with dirty hands. You didn't follow the tradition that we have that says, hey, you're walking right with God if you rinse your hands ceremoniously the right way to eat. That's what they challenged him on. What was Jesus' response in regard to their following traditions? We're going to go with Fox this time, Ian. We're going to just go back and forth, maybe. He said that not wash, them not washing their hands or even what they ate wasn't what made them unclean. It was what was inside the heart and the mind of the person. Do y'all remember that? 
It's not what you take into your body that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. All those intentions, those desires, the heart being the reference to the center of all of you, right? When you're thinking, what am I going to do in the next moment? You're like, "Mm, I'm going to do that. It's that moment. Whatever that is, it's that part of you that defiles you. Because if your definition of that in that moment is I'm going to sin, that's defiled. If it's I want to follow God, that's righteous. That was Christ's instruction. That's what just happened. That this big event where the Pharisees came and challenged Jesus. And Jesus set them in their place. In verse 8, he quotes from Isaiah. He says, you hypocrites, it's challenging language, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. And they were teaching people the true defilement. He taught people the true defilement. This righteousness in God's eyes is determined by what our heart is like. What our heart is like. That's where righteousness is determined. Right, so you had this big challenging conversation. All right, so that's where he was. And he said, well, where did he go? He went to Tyre and Sidon. I don't have a map for you, but just think up and to the east, right? West, up and to the west from where they were in Galilee. And it's in Gentile territory is the key idea. They're out of Israel. They're out of Israel. Tyre and Sidon, this region, this area, uh, was actually settled by one of the sons of Ham, a guy named Canaan. Why they're called the? Canaanites. It's logical. And that's where they've gone to. So they're out of Israel. Um, Mark, that we just read, tells us that they actually went into a house and their purpose was to get away. That's all we know. We don't know why to get away. It could be to have taught them his disciples clearly in the ministry. It could have been to follow after him more closely. But honestly, we're just not sure. They were just trying to get away. Uh, The interesting fact is that the Pharisees were just, in verses 1 to 20, taught, hey, your faith is in tradition and we're about to see your faith is genuine. So you compare those two things in Scripture, and you can see an interesting um, where was your faith supposed to be directed? The Pharisees were directing it at their works. We're going to see tonight where the Syrophoenician woman directs her faith, and we should model it. In verses 22 to 23, the first part, it says, And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. So you have this Canaanite woman, and if they're not in part of Israel, totally hard, difficult question. Who is the God of Israel? No, no, it's too, too straightforward. Yes, Taylor. Yes, God, right? The God of the Bible is a, a good way to say it. All right, the God of the Bible is the God of Israel. Who... Or who wasn't the God of the Canaanites? I'll even make it that. Who wasn't the God of the Canaanites? God. Right. Okay, did y'all see that? I, I tried to make that as, as clear as I could. The Canaanites were pagans. They were following after their own gods, many of them, for different reasons, for different facets. It wasn't the God of the Bible. This is who that woman was. But what did she do? She was there. She came out from wherever she was, and she pursued Jesus, she's crying out. This is like literally shouting, like the disciples called it, not in an angry way, but just calling out to where it was unmistakable. In Mark, we record that he was in a house. They were in a house, and they were sitting there trying to be on their own, but you have this Canaanite Gentile woman crying out, asking for help. She says, have mercy on me. And that have mercy on me is literally come alongside of me and give me aid. It's a beg. It's a plead. Right? And she calls him Lord. This is the Greek word kurios. It could mean Lord like Messiah, 
but it's inconclusive here, so don't jump to any conclusions. That's always bad. Right now, we just know that she recognizes that he's an authority of some kind. He's an authority of some kind. We'll see where she lands, right? But she doesn't stop there. She calls him son of David. Son of David is a reference to what? I know, we're getting really hard now. Yes? Um, his lineage as well as his right to be king. Boom, yeah. Son of David, not David, anybody David. David, the king of Israel, David, right? The lineage of there's a throne that's going to be established forever. It was his claim to Messiahship. It was his claim to Messiahship, and he was rightly in that. And she recognized that. You might be thinking, well, Drew, uh, if she lived in Tyre and Sidon, and that's all Israel stuff, how in the world would she have any clue about what's going on? You don't have to turn there, but if you go all the way back to Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus starts his public ministry, you would see that there were people from Syria and from that region of the world there being healed. Well, if you got healed of all of your diseases, of all of your demon possession, of everything you might be ailed by, you're going to go home and going to be deadly silent about it. You're not going to tell purpose. No, you're not going to. You're going to go home. You're like, this happened by a guy named Jesus down in Galilee. I don't know, but it happened. So she would have heard the news. She would have been familiar with who he was. And so then she hears that he's in town and she has a daughter who is cruelly demon-possessed. And that's her plight. She's calling my daughter. We see her reason for pleading, right? Y'all are children and you see your parents take care of you, right? Maybe imagine, hey, if I ever have kids, it's probably gonna be a pretty special thing where I'm gonna bend over backwards to make sure they're taken care of. And you see why this woman is coming out on her own, finding this person she does not know. She just knows of him by rumor. She's gonna plead for help. She loves her daughter. Her daughter is demon-possessed. The word cruelly there means is miserable. Whatever that circumstance is, Scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, we know that when someone's demon-possessed, there are all different kinds of ways that it can show up. Scripture records they can control speech, action, strength. They can be thrown to the ground. They can be mute. They can be all kinds of things can be going on. We don't know. We just know that it's cruel. We just know that it's cruel. In Matthew chapter 8, there's a record, there's a record of the demoniac. They were super strong. They could... They could break the, the bindings on their wrists right? and then get away and do all kinds of things and beat people up and just be, but, um, but you don't know, we don't know what this young, young lady's dealing with. She just, we just know that it's cruel. I know you've talked about demons before and because Matthew records a lot of it, right? So I'm not going to go into a ton of it, but demon possession doesn't happen to believers. It's an actual agent of Satan. It's someone who is actually... Uh, an, an angelic being that's fallen, right? That's chosen sin, followed Satan, and they're indwelling you. They're in you. They're controlling you, being controlled by this. It doesn't, believers can't happen because they were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Our only response is to look at Ephesians 6 and put on the armor of God. If you're ever wondering, how do I protect myself from the influence of this world? You put on the armor of God. Go to Ephesians 6, and you can read that. Um, and we pray. But the, if you're not a believer... Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 states that your condition is this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, the influence of Satan. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That young lady was in a really bad spot. Really bad spot. You can see why the care of her mother was to go out and plead and beg for mercy. Beg for mercy. But in verse 23, we see what Jesus' first reaction, or I should say not reaction, is to this woman. It says, he did not answer her a word. Question. Not responding to someone. Is that a yes or a no? 
We don't know. Have you ever not responded to your parent? If they said, hey, go do your thing. Have you ever? And then they said, why didn't you do the thing? And you use the line of, I didn't respond yet. Have you ever tried that logic? It doesn't work at home. Don't do it. At this point, what we have right here, though, is he hasn't responded yet. Don't assign conclusions. He hasn't responded yet. So caution. We're dealing with the perfect son of God here. You shouldn't assign negative motives to the perfect son of God. He's perfect. As humans, we fail. Christ does not. He's waiting. He's waiting. But why wouldn't he respond? Right? Why wouldn't he answer her something? He's pulling her faith out. We'll see it. You see if her faith is genuine or if she's just looking for the healer guy that might help her. That's what we're looking for. So this Canaanite, this Gentile Gentiles, this pagan woman, she probably already prayed to her gods. Nothing happened. She probably already asked the village elders and wise people around her, what should I do? Nothing's happened. Her daughter's still miserable. So in desperation, she's going to Christ because he's the only one that she's heard that can deal anything about this. So... A thing for you all to think about is when I feel desperate, when I feel stuck in my life, where do I run? Where do I run? Do I run to my friends and say, hey, what should I do? Do I run to my parents and say, hey, this is really hard. What should I do? Do I run to just my own thinking and I run around that axle for as long as I want to? Or would you run to Christ like this Syrophoenician woman? If you're looking at what the right answer is, is I should run to Christ and place my faith there and see what his word says. And that will tell you what you should do. Uh, that will tell you where you should go first. You can ask counsel. You should ask your parents. Don't hear me wrong. You should go to the leaders in this room and say, hey, I'm really struggling. What can, can you help me? You should do all of those things. But your faith needs to be in Christ. And that wraps up the first part of our conversation was her request. We now know what she's asking for. Look at verse 23, the second half, and go to verse 24. This is the second part of our conversation, which is the responses that she gets. And it says, his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What was the disciples' response? Y'all so polite, so polite. Where did Claire? No. What was... Taylor? Shoo. Shoo. It was send her away, right? We're on our own. We came to this place to be together. You are crying out incessantly for attention, and it's hard to have a meeting when someone outside the house is crying out into the house asking for help. Their response was send her away. Send her away. She keeps shouting at us. Would you call that response compassionate or not compassionate? You look great. Not compassionate. That was good. Yeah, not compassionate. Okay, they knew their purpose of the time was to be together. That's what Jesus said. Let's go. Let's go to this other place. Let's travel um, quite a distance and let's pull away. And they couldn't, so they were frustrated. Whatever they were feeling, they weren't being compassionate. Compassionate, by definition, is the feeling that arises when you are confronted with someone else's suffering and you're motivated to help. That's compassion. You're confronted with someone else's suffering and you're motivated to help. They did not have a compassionate response. Well, let's look at what Jesus' response was. He speaks and he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is that a yes or a no? Ian? No. We'll see, quite honestly. You want to assign a meaning. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm just asking you to think. 
He literally just states a fact. I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what is he referencing, right? Lost sheep, referring to of the house of Israel. He's taking us back to Matthew chapter 10. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, that's when he sends his disciples out, and he gives them authority to share the gospel with power. Do y'all remember that part? He sends them out, and he says, only go to the house of Israel. Only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why did he do that? Because the Israelites were chosen by God, not because of any worth that they had, but all the way back to Abraham, plucked out of the world to be his witness nation. Because promises that God has made and that they've been given and covenants they've been given, he went to them first. Mark records, when you leave that Mark chapter 7, says, go to the children first. Not only, just first. So it's not a yes or a no. He's just telling her again, here's a fact. I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, drawing out her faith. Is it real? If her faith wasn't real, she would be disappointed and leave. That's what she would do. So, okay, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to bother you. And she would walk away disappointed. We'll see what she does. We'll see what she does. So it's not Israel only. It's not just to the, it's not just to the lost sheep of Israel. It was I was sent to them. And Mark records for us that he was sent there first. Uh, you can go into Paul's writings in Romans chapter 9, verses 3 to 5, and you see the order of what Jesus was operating within. And Paul writes, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, and here it is, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. They received the promises first. So his mission while he was here on earth to become Messiah, especially in Matthew where Jesus is king is the theme, was to go to them first, not only. So don't lose hope. Don't be afraid. We're not done, right? Jesus knows that later his ministry is going to spread everywhere. If you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you would see that he says, you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to go out. Where's he going to start? In Jerusalem. Again, first to the house of Israel, and then Judea, and then into the Gentile lands of Samaria, and then further to the ends of the earth is where his word is going to go. But right now, he, he's drawing out her faith, and he says, just a fact, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's not that uh, this woman is before. We already referenced in Matthew chapter 4 that people from Syria, which had been Gentiles, had been healed. He's already been kind and compassionate and recognized that. In Matthew chapter 8, if you go back in your memories to the centurion, lots of children's songs about this, so you might remember this one, right? The centurion recognizes that Jesus is a man of authority. He says, I am also a man of authority. I tell people where to go, go here, go there, do my bidding, and they do it. I recognize that. And what was Jesus' response to the centurion who's... Servant was demon-possessed. What was that? Maybe too much. He heals him. He says, go. He's been healed because of your great faith. He recognized who Jesus was. Jesus' actions by not sending her away, by, not, by just telling her the truth, by just showing compassion, it leads to the gospel. It leads him to the gospel. She's sticking around, and she's waiting to see so we see, get a sense that her faith, well, her persistence is definitely strong. 
As we move into this third part of the conversation, which is verses 25 to 28, we're going to see her faith revealed. We'll get the answer. And it reads, But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So let's look at her request. Back in verse 25, what does she say to Jesus? You have to look at your page. Verse 25, what does she say to Jesus? Yes. With some before that. Lord, Lord, help me. Right? She recognized again authority. We don't know if it's repentant, like you're my Lord and Master, or if we just don't know yet. But she says... Lord, help me. This cry is even more emphatic. She does something physically that she didn't do before. What does she do? Bows down. She bows down. Bowing down is a sign of what? Obedience. Obedience. Right? Of I submit, I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting to you. We're getting to see her heart as she acts. Right? She's still crying out, Lord, help me. She bows down. In front of Jesus, his response, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, we read the word, the phrase, it's not good. It's important to know what that is and how it comes across in the original. It could be translated better where it says it's not right or it's not proper or it's not becoming. And he's referencing back to the order that he's operating within. I'm taking my message to the Jews first. That's all he's referencing. That's all he's referencing. So when he says it's not good, that's what he means by that. And he says children, it's a reference to the Jews. He says brethren, it's a reference to the, the covenants and the promises that they've been given. And so he's, not, he's referencing all of that. And then he says something that could be interpreted as pretty harsh. Right? What does he re- allude to her as? Yes. Dogs. Okay, history. We're reading from... Um, uh, Old Testament or Matthew, New Testament, but uh, ancient Israel, Israel times, when, they, when the Jews called a Gentile dog, what they did is they were equating that, hey, there's two ways to use that. One word is like the dirty mongrels that scavenge for food that no one wants around. That's one word. And that is commonly what Jews called Gentiles because they literally saw them that way. Jesus uses a different word. He uses the word that means like a dog that you keep in your house as a pet. Little dogs. Still not a reference that you would think is super kind, but the way he's using it is he's saying, I'm coming first to the house of Israel. He's using this household example, this illustration, you're in a house, it's mealtime, who has a dog as a pet in this room, who has a dog as a pet, all right? Whether or not you did it on purpose or it didn't happen on purpose, has your dog ever gleaned food from the table that you were eating at? Yes, Right? So we see that that's the illustration that we're inside of, is that, yeah, the dog is taken care of too. So he's inside this culture of, yes, Jews first and then to the Gentiles was his mission. And he's referencing her, and she knew the distinction. She caught the switch, like, thank you for not calling me the wild mongrel one. And she saw that. She caught that. She would have known. But now I'm in this household example, and he's doing this to set her up to express her faith. Is it real? And this is the moment. So remember, she's begging, she's asking, he said nothing, then he said, I'm going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now he said, it's not becoming to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. So not yeses or noes, 
just statements of fact, right? And he's going to wait and see what she says. In verse 27, what does she say? First two words. It's really important. Yes, Sam. Um, yeah, Verse 27, I may have counted. I just wrote down the one I wanted. Yes, Lord. I'll go back and count with our verse 27. But she said, word four and five. Words four and five. She says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. When someone says yes to someone in a situation like this, are they obeying willingly or are they disobeying? Thank you. Trying to tee up so it's super clear, right? Don't want it to get distracted or get, get it wrong. She's obeying. Think about it. This woman is desperate. This woman came to him because she is at all ends lost. She left her pagan world. She came to Jesus. She's calling him Lord. She's bowing down before him. He's told her that I'm going to the Jews first on purpose. She's not getting answers that she wants. What's the answer that she wants? Yes, I'm going to heal your daughter. That's the answer she wants. All this she's gotten so far is truth, and then truth, and then nothing, no yeses or nos. And her response is, yes, Lord. That is obedience. If you ever wondered what it was to be truly obedient in the face of authority, you're not getting what you want. You want something else, you would rather it to be said a different way, and you still obey wholeheartedly, no qualifiers, no yes, but, just yes, Lord. That's faith. That's obedience. And that's what she says. Now we see this genuine faith. And, what she, and she proves it with what she says after that. She says, even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In essence, she's saying, I recognize that you have to go to the Israelites first. I, I get it. I hear you. No qualms about that. I also know that my faith in you and your provision is enough for me. I also know that. Whatever your answer is. He hasn't answered it yet. Still no answer. Not yet. She says, whatever your answer is, essentially, is enough for me. Even the dogs glean food from their master's table. That's faith. That's faith. So she states her dependence on Christ to provide for her even, uh, even to be saved. And we see this genuine faith in her. In the face of news, it was given in a way that she didn't want to hear it. She responds in an obedient heart. You don't want to miss it. If you're going to wonder, do I have faith in Christ? Do I have faith to follow God's word? And it said in commands, it says, go left or go right. Do you say, yes, but? I'd rather have it this way or do you say, yes, Lord? That's genuine faith. Micah 6, 8 puts it this way. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do what God calls us to do, not to get what you want. It's not how genuine, that's not, that's not um, the Pharisees back from verses 1 to 20 were trying to work to get what they wanted. Jesus said that's not how you recognize a defiled or a righteous heart. It's through faith. Jesus' final response says, Oh woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. Now she gets her answer. Now she gets her answer. Her faith in Christ, uh, is he calls it great. Not the sense of an amount. Saving faith is saving faith. He calls it great. 
because of the situation and to call everybody's attention to it. He's saying, look, that is genuine right there. That's real faith because she's obedient and she's responding in faith without knowing what the answer would be. She's like Job, if you go further back in the Old Testament, and he never forsook God, yet he never knew why all these sufferings were happening to him. Never found out, but he never let go. That's faith. And that's why he calls it great. And of course, Jesus can promise and does accomplish what he said he would do when he said, it's been done for you as you wish. In an instant, that woman's daughter was completely healed. Mark records that when she went home, she found her daughter demon-free and at peace. Quote, she was lying on the bed, no longer miserable, no longer suffering. It was done. So help me out a little bit. I want us to walk back through this Gentile woman's interaction with Christ and pay attention. Your notes have been saying, observe the woman, observe the woman, observe the woman. Pay attention to her progression through this conversation. This is for y'all because you're going to discuss it in your, your groups here in just a minute. Where did she come out from, this Gentile woman? Did she believe and been taught the oracles of God, or was she totally a pagan? Which means didn't know the God of the Bible. Pagan. All right, got that one right. That's good. Describe her pursuit of Jesus, please. Yes. She was crying out after him twice. Physically, then she did what? She bowed down, right? Showing submission. She's humble. He tells her, fact, I'm going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. He tells her, fact, it's not appropriate to throw the children's bread, the oracles of God, to the dogs. It's not appropriate. It's not time yet, in essence, for that ministry to kick off like that. He tells her that. And what does she say? She says, yes, Lord. I hear you. No qualms. I still have faith that you're going to provide for me. And whatever your provision is, is enough. And we see her complete and utterly full and continued dependence on Christ for the answer of how to care for her daughter, whatever it may have been, whatever it may have been. And then God is good and Jesus is compassionate so much that he draws her out to where he sees that your faith is sincere and, and he heals her daughter. So my caution, my encouragement to you, not caution, is to examine your faith. You've seen this woman's faith. And we called it genuine, we called it great, we called it real, right? There is hope. If you have genuine faith, does it resemble this woman's? The only way that you can have genuine faith, I don't know all of your hearts in this room, I don't know where you've done, right? I do know that in this world, you would all agree with me that, yeah, you probably disobeyed at one point or another. I said probably because I'm being too soft. The answer is yes, I have disobeyed at one point or many of another. That's called sin. You're, we all have a man, man has a sin problem right? We do. But there's hope. There's genuine faith, just like this pagan woman, and it's only in Christ. Repentance of your sins, she left her pagan world, and she came only to the only place her faith should be directed for salvation. It's in Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. What a glorious gift. And then he rose from the dead three days later, proving that he is God. Is your faith in him? That's great faith. When your worldly system is pulling at you, you're at school, temptations, friends, whatever the case is, just in your head, where do you direct yourself? Are you persistent in your pursuit of faith? Do you go to Christ? Do you go to his word? Do you go to your parents and say, please help? Um, or you just pursue your own selfish desires? 
Are you fully dependent and trust Jesus and what he's providing for you? Or are you discontent? True faith, when examined, is like the Syrophoenician woman's. So in summary, we covered three parts of this conversation, right? The first part was the request. She's begging for help, and she only went to Christ for it after no one else could help her. So where's your faith directed? The second aspect we look at was responses. We saw the disciples' response, not full of compassion. We saw Christ's response, patient, drawing her out, bringing her to reveal her faith. And then lastly, we saw her revealed faith. It was genuine. It was humble. It was fully dependent. The bottom line is that Jesus is showing us that genuine faith is what leads to a compassionate response, and we saw that. So my ask of you is to examine your hearts. Where's your faith? Where do you go to first is the easy way to know. If you go to Christ first, praise the Lord. If you go to the worldly systems around you to try to find solace, and it tells you that's not genuine faith. That's me looking in the wrong places. Our prayer is that you're wholly dependent on him and his word. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would honor your word tonight, as you will, I know. Uh, Lord, we put it all into your hands. We cast all of this into your hands. Uh, Lord, I pray that tonight, as as we have seen a picture of great, genuine faith, Lord, that you would allow that to bear fruit in the lives of the believers here, that they'd be encouraged and uh, refired up to pursue you um, even more closely. And Lord, if there are any that don't know you here, that they have recognized that the, their faith, a saving faith, is only directed towards your son, Jesus Christ. You're, he, he is the only one that can save. And he is the only one that is worth pursuing. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to humbly follow after you and to do your will um, and, and holy and full of dependence. And we thank you so much for your mercy and grace. We pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Drew.